So this, uh, <coughs> this evening, uh, my main theme will be cultivation and effect. And around that theme, I want to look at different things which can be helpful for the retreat, but also in daily life. But first, I would like to start with just looking at just a few brief quotes from the Buddha talking about meditation, which I think might be useful at the start of a week retreat together in this way. So the first one is just, uh, in a way, one sentence, and he is talking to somebody uh, who is practicing meditation. And he says, So too, Sona, over-striving leads to agitation, and under-striving leads to slackness. Therefore, resolve upon evenness of energy. And I find this is a kind of very interesting thing to look at. The Buddha says, over-striving leads to agitation. Under-striving leads to slackness. So, you know, we're trying to find evenness of energy. And I think this is something to, to, to notice, to look at when we sit in meditation, that in a way we move a little from sometimes trying too hard so trying to focus too hard, trying to sit too hard, to really pushing ourselves, to really do it right, to really and in a way by trying too hard, we bring tension, we bring agitation. So that's why we have to be careful, for example, in terms of the thought. The more we don't want thought to be there, the more thought we'll have in a way. Because in a way, if we push, we don't want this thought, we don't want this thought, then that will lead to agitation. At the same time, if we just sit there, and we really don't do anything, no energy, the posture is not so good, then it's not going to work. In a way, there will be this slackness, there will be kind of no energy, there will be just kind of like, we will kind of, there won't be that, that strength. So in a way, to, to see, we don't want to try too hard, and at the same time, we don't want to try too little. And so I think often when we sit in meditation, especially I think the first day of the retreat, we move from I must do this to I can't do this. And so in a way, we kind of between this agitation and this kind of, ooh, I don't have any energy, I can't do this. And I think it's kind of finding that evenness of energy in terms of just a posture, finding a posture which is not tense, and at the same time which is not too loose. So finding a posture where really we feel that stability, that openness. So, And, and I think this is something we, we kind of have to, to try to, to work with. We have to try to find which lead me a little to the cultivation and the effect. We have to try to cultivate that evenness of energy, and then, in a way, you have the effect of experiencing the evenness of energy. And at the same time, to find that evenness of energy, we have to see, ah, here it's a little too hard, 
oh, here it's a little too little, so now, but at the same time, it's not like a sacred place, this evenness of energy. When we have lots of energy, it might be easier to find. And then when we're really tired, it will be a little different. So to see also there is kind of like a middle way which can change a little in terms of that. So seeing how sometimes we try too hard, sometimes too little, and trying to, in a way, play with these two elements and trying to find, can I find the middle way in terms of the energy, the way I try to concentrate, the way I try to look deeply, the way I try to walk, the way I try to sit. And just finding, kind of seeing how maybe here there is a little agitation, I need to relax a little, or is really there is not enough energy I need to bring a little more. So trying to explore that dimension. Then the next one is to show that, again, the mindfulness is, is not an end in itself, but it's kind of within a certain context. And so this is the Buddha asking, what is right mindfulness? Here, among abides, contemplating the body as a body, hardened, fully aware, and mindful, having put away greed and hatred towards the world. So it's not just that we aware and mindful just for its own sake, but it's a certain type of awareness, a certain type of mindfulness, where it is accompanied by trying not to kind of search, to want things in a certain way, and neither push things away. So it's kind of really trying to find that attitude what I would call creative engagement. So you are mindful, and at the same time when you try to be mindful, when you try to focus, you come in contact with things. You have ideas, you have feelings, you have sensations. And if you look uh, in the thought, in the feeling, in the sensation, often there can be this, oh, I want more of that, or I don't want this at all, pushing away. And so in a way, trying within the mindfulness, and to me this is what is interesting, to, yes, we try to be mindful, but with it, what I would call a wide open awareness, where the thought arises, the feeling arises, the sound arises, and noticing how very quickly we, oh, I like this, I want more of this, oh, I don't want this, if only it was not there. And instead, can we be with those things in a different way? It doesn't mean that they don't exist, but how can we be with them in a different way? So trying to explore that, to see that we are mindful, but also trying to bring that creative engagement, that creative awareness, which does not grasp and does not reject. And the last one is also to show a little the Again, the wider context of the meditation. So this is a little longer uh, quote, but I think it's kind of quite lovely. So the Buddha again speaking, and he talks about meditating and how to do it and how to go about it. When one has gone to the forest, one sits down on a seat made ready. 
Having sat down, one washes one's feet. However, one doesn't concern oneself with pedicure. So one just washes the feet and don't get, ooh, I could do this there. After washing one's feet, one sits oneself cross-legged. One sets the body erect and establishes mindfulness in front of oneself. So that's kind of the way to set. It's in a way what we do here. I mean, we don't wash our feet. We do it a different way nowadays because in those days they, they were bare feet. So they wanted, you wanted them to have kind of quite clean feet when they are sitting and not be too sticky and dirty. We don't have that problem. We wear socks and shoes, but still it's the same thing. We kind of, you know, we set our body erect, we establish mindfulness, and then it gives how to do that. One does not occupy one's mind with self-affliction or the affliction of other or the affliction of both. One sits with one's mind set on one's own welfare, on others' welfare, and on the welfare of both, on the welfare of the whole world. And I think that again is interesting, because he said, you see, I think we can notice how often our mind seems to have what I would call a negative growth. That we have a tendency to see what is negative about us, what is negative about others, and then often we mull over it. And then we kind of bring more and more of that. And then instead of, in a way, meditating, watching the breath, or listening to sound, or whatever we do, we kind of go into what I call these negative loops. And the Buddha could see that this would not help us to, 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 to cultivate more mindfulness. But what would help us, and what was his intention, is to try to do the mindfulness within this kind of kind and compassionate attitude where you are concerned for your own welfare. And in a way, that is why we do meditation, because we're concerned for our own welfare, but also the welfare of others. Because in a way, if we are more creatively engaged, more wise, more compassionate, then it's not only benefit ourselves, but also benefit others. And it even goes as far as to the welfare of the world. Because then we can be more open to the world, more creatively engaged. So again, you have the cultivation and the effect. He said that when you try to be mindful, try to, to move your whole being toward what is positive, what is kind, what is wise, what is compassionate. Instead of generally going into this negative loop where you cannot just go round and round and it's always like this and we'd always be like this and I can't do this and they can't do it and da 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 da. And to kind of in a way turn it back to we are alive in this moment. We have a potential in this moment. We can be aware, we can be wise, we can be compassionate in a way in any given moment. And so I think the Buddha is pointing out that we have a choice. And of course, we cannot instantly do that choice, but it kind of saying, look, in a way, by coming back to the breath, in a way, you can choose to sit in meditation, to watch the breath for the welfare 
of yourself and everyone else? Or do you want, in a way, to watch the breath and then kind of keep going back to kind of this kind of little tight point within our conditions and kind of go round and round? Because when we go round and round, actually, it does not do anything. It does not solve anything. When if we are kind of like a more open, stable and spacious attitude, actually, sometimes we can go back to this difficult place, places and look at them in a different way. So it's trying to, to see. It's not just being mindful, but it's also looking. What is in my mind? What is in my being? Can I move? Can I shift that in some way? And then what I wanted to to look at, as I said, was cultivation and effect. Because often it seems to me that when we do meditation, what we do is straight away we go into effect. Like you sit in meditation, you try to watch the breath, and I would say generally a lot of the time, within two or three minutes, you are looking at, is it working? Is it doing what is it supposed to do? And this can also be confusing because actually what we're doing, cultivating samatha and vipassana, which is concentration and looking deeply, actually again has two meanings, what I would call the cultivating meaning and the effect of it. And so vipassana generally is understood as insight. Actually it means looking deeply. And then if we say insight, well I do insight, If I do insight meditation, I must have some insight. If I do insight meditation and I never have an insight, what's the point? But I think it's very important to see that the cultivation, to me what is more important is a cultivation. That actually when we sit in meditation, we cultivate something. And then of course, over time, there can be an effect of that, which can will help to more cultivation which might help to more effect. But I think to really see the difference so that we don't jump so quickly from trying to cultivate something and straight away becoming like a spectator of that cultivation. Because as soon as you are a spectator of that cultivation, you're not in the cultivation anymore. In a way, you can't do two things at once. Cultivating something and then looking, is that working? every two minutes. I mean, after a while, you want to check, is meditation working or not? Of course. I mean, if really, really, after, you know, you meditated for five years and you really feel it has not done anything to you, then possibly you might want to do something else. But to check every two minutes, is this working? That is not going to help. So you need to see that when we sit in meditation, what we're trying to do is cultivate Samatha and Vipassana, concentration and looking deeply. And to see that actually doing that, of course, will have an effect, but not necessarily an immediate effect the way we think it should be. I think it's again to be careful there. So, first looking at Samatha. Samatha means concentration, focusing, one pointedness. I mean, it can be translated in different ways. 
But I think what we have to be careful with that word when we translate it as concentration is that it's not what we mean by concentration often. Because we can be very concentrated. I mean, sometimes we're so concentrated in some very negative thought that it can be extremely painful. So we have no problem with concentration because we can be really focused. I would say sometimes too focused. No, the, the focusing we're talking here is that we are aware of a certain object in a certain way. And not in an exclusive way, but an inclusive way. So that we rest, it's more to think of focusing, concentration, samatha, as resting the attention on one object in our experience. For example, the breath, or the sound, sensation, whatever. And really to see that it's kind of so that the, the object is not sacred, it's not going to kind of start to shine in a special way by us looking at it, but it's going to help us to anchor into the moment. And the second thing it does, and that's why it works, generally concentration, is that by actually back to what Stephen talked about, sati, recollection, but actually coming back. This is what works in meditation in terms of concentration is the fact that we come back. We come back again and again and again. And this is where the effect comes in. Generally, what do we do? We have a thought, we just continue with it, and we spin, and we spin, and we spin. And we kind of bring more things into it. Then generally we associate, etc. And so in a way we just spin more. Kind of we just think more and more and more. But if we have this instruction, please be aware of the breath. Please focus on the breath. Then you go a little with the thought, but not so far. And then you come back. You go again, and then you come back. And then when you do this, two things happen. You don't feed the mental habit, and you diminish its power. And then it's not going to disappear. I think this is, we have to be very careful. The thought is not going to disappear, but it's going back to its function. This is very important to see that actually we're back to its function, and then when we want to think, we do. If we don't need to, we don't. Let's take an example, judging. You might have experienced that sitting in meditation, you might find yourself judging the meditation, judging yourself, judging others, etc., etc., judging the past, maybe even judging the future. We kind of sometimes it kind of very it goes everywhere. Judging is difficult to deal with in meditation because if you start you start to judge the judging of the judging of the judging, and so kind of you kind of go even more loops, you know. I should not be judging. This is so terrible to be judging. I'm such an awful person because I'm judging the judging of the judging. So we kind of... And so in a way to just see, it's a function of the mind. We need to be able to judge. I mean, this is where wisdom comes from. The fact that we have the function to discriminate. I mean, this is a clog, this is a bell, this is a glass. I mean, I could try to... I'm not sure. I'm fairly sure I could not read the time in the glass. Very unlikely. I could possibly use it kind of as a bell, but not very much. 
So I have this function of mine, which is to discriminate. And then, over time, it becomes this groove, this kind of negative judging groove, where we can even become quite judgmental. And so, generally, we just feed it, because, you know, it's a habit, so we just do it a little more, a little more. And then, with the help of the meditation, we don't do anything with the judging. We don't judge it or say we should not have it or whatever. It's there. But by bringing back to the breath, back to the breath, we don't feed it. Then we diminish the power of the habit and then it can go back to its usual functioning, to discriminate, to, to see what is what. And I can use this for that, use this for something else. So this is what actually the concentration helps us to do to bring spaciousness into the mind. It doesn't stop the thinking, but it brings it back to more what I would call a creative functioning. And then we start to have more choices. If I need to judge something, is it a good idea or a bad idea? Then we can do it. If we don't need to do that, we don't. So they become more freedom within it. So in a way, this is a point of the concentration. And so in a way, by doing that, then the mind becomes more calm because we are not constantly feeding thought, spinning, spinning. And then there is a little more space around the thought that appears. So in a way, the cultivation is actually that recollection, that returning. And then the effect is a calm, is a spaciousness. But when we do it, we just do it. And we're not checking every two minutes Am I calm or not? Generally, over time, yes, there will be some calm. But to check it every two minutes is really not going to help. So to being careful when we do this, when we move from the cultivation of the concentration, coming back with the breath, being with the breath, to looking at what's going on. Then you have the looking deeply the vipassana aspect. And that is to look inside the experience. Example, Stephen mentioned the changing nature. To notice the changing nature of the breath, to notice the changing nature of sound, to notice the changing nature of sensations. And this is interesting sensations. I know some of you might have experienced some what I would call strong sensations today. Possibly in the knee, in the ankle, in the back. But what is interesting, if you don't go into, this is so terrible, this is awful, it will always be like this, my knee is going to drop off, I'll never walk again, or I'm going to have sciatica like Martine. If you don't do this, but like I will recommend for tomorrow, as we will focus on the sensations, to just be with the sensation as it arises. To go inside the sensation. So not kind of, ah, oh, my knee, my pain, this is terrible, this is awful. But just to go inside the sensation itself. And then what you experience is that, of course, it's not fantastic and a fantastically pleasant experience but you experience it differently. It's kind of this moving, changing. It comes and it goes. Time to time I have pain in the stomach or 
sciatica or various things. But what is interesting for me is that with the meditation, I become very aware that the pain is not constant. I cannot just sit there and notice. Sometimes it's there, sometimes it's gone. It might come again. If I do certain things, it will be better. If I do other things, it will be worse. But to me, what is very interesting is that generally we have this feeling. It's fixed, it's solid, it's the same all the time. But actually, if you notice, within itself it changes, and then also it comes and it goes. A good one is an itch. You are sitting here, and here, I mean, it's so itchy. Just say, wow, it's so itchy. Normally you would, and it's more itchy, more itchy. But you sit, you just sit. And then you go inside the itch, just there. You go inside it, and it's so there. You stay barely a minute, and it's so gone. And what is interesting is that when it's so there, you have the feeling it is going to be there forever after. And this is why we get that impression, is because it's so intense that we kind of associate intensity with permanence. I think we have this strange association. But if you stay with it, Generally, it goes. I mean, of course, if you have, once I was in South Africa and I woke up and it was, my whole face was itchy and I thought, well, you know, it's impermanent. Lasted a day, next day, I thought, "Uh uh-uh, there is some problem here. So then I went to see the doctor and I had some, I don't know, something kind of beat me and I had this kind of, I don't know, cascading urticaria. So we had to do something fairly drastic. But, I, you know, I did not stay, you know, for a week. Oh, this is going to change at some point. I did something. <laughs> so, of course, we have to see, according to the condition, things will last a little less long or not. So the fact that things are changing doesn't mean that they change all the time. This is also what you have to be careful. Things are also relatively stable. I would say I am relatively stable. Tomorrow morning, I doubt that you will have an elephant sitting here instead of me. I mean, I might have a heart attack in the night, and then I won't be there. But I doubt the elephant would be there. That would be highly unlikely. So we have a certain stability, but within that, of course, there is some change. So in a way, the cultivation is to notice. And it's simple. I mean, it's really not esoteric or mystical. It's just to notice It's there, it's not there. There, not there. Ah, it changed within itself. That's all we need to do in the experience. But over time, the effect can be quite interesting. And I know for me, in the changing nature, there is two things that we can then, in terms of effect in the way we are, which happen. The first one is as Stephen mentioned, death. To me, impermanence can be used as, oh, it doesn't matter. We have to be careful here. When I was a, a nun in Korea, at the beginning, I would, hmm, a, a vase was broken. Who cares? Especially if it's not mine, it's impermanent. I don't care. And we have to be careful not to use impermanence that way. But when my father died, when I saw his last breath, 
then I really knew impermanence. But what was interesting is that that moment of really knowing it experientially what it meant, I experienced this great compassion. Compassion for myself, compassion for others who took their life rested upon a single breath. And so I could look at them in a different way, look beyond my idea about them, and to really be with, yes, look beyond my mother, the idea I might have of my mother, but this human being, her life is precious. Anybody's life is precious. And there is this compassion. So to see that it's not that just things are changing, but if we're aware that things are changing, are fragile, then arise compassion for this life, which is fragile, which is impermanent. But there is the other side of it. That's why I think we should not just focus on death, what I would call the ultimate change, but to look at change in term change is saying there is a potential for something to change. And so often that's why I think we have to be careful when you use the word always and never. When you say you are always like this. You say, what are you saying? I am always like this, you are always like this. You mean that every second, every minute, every hour, every day, every week, every month, Every year, you're going to do exactly the same thing. But nobody can sustain that. Nobody. So in a way, to see that when we use this kind of word, we actually fix things. We fix ourselves. We fix others. And so to see that, to me, this is actually compassion. When we see somebody who might have a tendency to do things a certain way, but to see that they have the possibility to change at a certain point. The change might happen very quickly, or the change might take a long time. Recently I met a friend, and for a long time he was so troubled. So you would have the feeling that he will always be trouble. And I met him recently, and he looked so happy, so stable, so at peace. And I was so happy for him. You know, that things had changed for him. So in a way, we don't know. And to me, this is what to see that change, change within myself, but to be careful when to say, I must change yesterday. Then this is very difficult. But it's different to say there can be a certain change. And I think what we have to look also at is that meditation is not a program of eradication. We're not going to try to eradicate our habits, our patterns. But if they are less intense and if they last less long, that will be a difference. I know for myself, I am a little the kind of uh, angry types, and with the meditation, it has really improved. But it doesn't mean that I don't get irritated. <coughs> Last night, 
in the middle of the night, I banged into a table, and the next this morning, there was water all over the table. And I thought, ah, really? Ah, you know, this happened. I was not happy it had happened that way. But at the same time, it lasted about two minutes. And then I cleaned it, and now it's okay. So in a way, it doesn't mean that we won't have the feeling, but that we won't go on about it. This is terrible, this is terrible, and what was it like this, and it's a terrible table, or da-da-da-da-da-da. You just... You, you still have the feeling. I think it's very important to see the feeling doesn't disappear. But the emotional disturbance doesn't have the same leg, the same intensity, and you can see through it much faster. So when we do the cultivation of the Samatha of the concentration, it helps us to be more quiet and clear, quiet with the vipassana, the looking deeply into the changing nature. Generally, it helps us to be clearer. So in a way, to see the cultivation is a concentration, the looking deeply. And then, of course, there will be some effect of that. I mean, that's why we do meditation. We don't do meditation because we have nothing better to do. But yes, there will be an effect. But can to be careful not to check the effect all the time. But that there is this effect, this quietness and clarity developing together, and then that becomes creative awareness, which then we can use in our work, in our relationship, etc. And I'll talk more about this throughout the week. So anyway, that's what we're doing, we're doing in meditation. We're actually cultivating these two things, and then over time, it will develop something. But you see, personally, I think the effect will generally come more into daily life. Because here, not much is going on. As far as I know, nobody is really giving you a hard time. So unless you have really something you brought with you, generally, so the only thing we have to do during the retreat is to cultivate. But by cultivating... Then, at the end of the retreat, we'll have developed this creative awareness, which then we have to apply. This is, again, by applying the creative awareness, then it becomes more activated. If you just do it here, then nothing is going to happen. So, in a way, is that we're developing something which then we have to use. And the more you use it, then the more it will become active. And so in that way, this is why, in a way, we do the different types of meditation. Because actually, I would say, first why I, I, I suggest different things, like today the breath, tomorrow the body, uh, after tomorrow the sounds, and after that the feeling tone, then after that the questioning, then after that the loving kindness. And you might think, but this is a little confusing. Can't you focus on just one thing? True, we could do that. The whole week we could just do the breath. But what I have seen over time is that the breath is not necessarily applicable to everybody. Because some people really don't do well with the breath. And they do better with the sound. Some others better with the body. Some others better with 
etc., loving kindness, other questions. So this is the reason why I introduce these different things. So you can try them out, see if they would help you in some ways. At the same time, if you have a good method, please just do that method. But also the other reason why I suggest these different things, what I call tools of awareness, is because, again, back to cultivation and back to effect. That each of these tools have a little different effect. And I think in our daily life, we can also bring them and use them in terms of the effect they might have. So, for example, the breath. The breath generally, for most people, though not necessarily for everybody, can be calming. You come back to the breath and it kind of has a way to calm, to calm a little the body and mind. And I remember... Many years ago, I was uh, living in England and I was a house cleaner. And I got this, uh, I had asked for uh, several scholarships to go to do some uh, uh, study of uh, Buddhism and women. And for a year, I had not heard anything. And one morning, I got three letters saying to me, yes, you got your scholarship. So I was overjoyed great, fantastic, and da, da, da. So I was very excited. But then I had to do my job, three hours of house cleaning. And so I go to the bathroom and I start to wash the bathtub and suddenly I realize I'm, I'm kind of all over the place because my mind is just, ah, this is, I'm all over the place. And so I saw that and so, oh, that is not going to be an efficient house cleaning period. So I sat down on a chair and just for three minutes, I just back to the breath, back to the breath. And then I could still be happy. I was still very happy, but I was not kind of uh, disturbed by it. And then I could do my job efficiently. So the breath can have this calming effect. So in a way, when we try it out here, it will be like a reminder. Again, recollection. We go back in our daily life. And then if sometimes we feel agitated, then we can find maybe a, just to sit for a minute back to the breath. Then you have the body. Tomorrow that's what we'll focus on, the sensations in the body. And that to me is very grounding. It helps to ground ourselves. Because sometimes I find that our mind is ahead, our brain is like ahead of ourselves and we're trying to catch up. And so in a way, by focusing on the body, we bring everything back in. And then it's a whole being. And we can ground in the whole being. And often, you know, you work, you are at the office, and you really kind of get kind of agitated about something, and you think about it, you think about it. And then you go back home, and you're still so caught up in it. You're not really present. And to come back to the body to come back to the feet on the ground. At that level, walking meditation is good. Because when we walk, often we're really not there. So using the recollection, when we do walking meditation, if we walk in nature, coming back to the body, coming back to the movement, to the feet on the ground, and then generally it brings you back to more full, present awareness. And I think it can have the same action in daily life. Washing the dishes, 
as we mentioned already, instead of thinking ahead, really washing the dishes, feeling the water, feeling the plate, and that bringing us back into the moment, being more present. Then you have the sounds, and I find the sound is a good idea because it opens you up, because otherwise you have the feeling that the meditation is very self-focused. It's about me, my little world. And that's why I think it's also good to do listening meditation, just listening to the sounds of the world. And actually, it can be very helpful because you listen in a different way. Generally, we listen, mm, I like this, I don't like that. When we do listening meditation, we just listen. And we try not to name. We try to just listen to the sound as it arises and disappear. And what was interesting is that uh, recently there was a young woman who came on a retreat who was extremely sensitive to sounds. And so she always had earplugs. I found them everywhere in the, uh, under the cushion. There was all these earplugs. And we did this uh, day of uh, listening and to try to listen in a different way. Not to go out to, this is good, this is bad, this is terrible, I don't like it, but just to listen. And she said it was really, really a revelation for her. She was able to be with the sound in a different way, more open. I mean, she still used the earplug time to time, but a little less. So just using to listen to the sound, to listen to the world in a different way, I think it helps with the openness. Then we have the feeling thoughts. And that will be, I mean, this will be a little later in the week because this is a little more difficult to do, to be aware of the feeling thought. Pleasant, unpleasant, neither pleasant nor unpleasant, what we could call neutral. And it's very interesting to see generally what do I experience. And generally, actually, I would say we have a quite high benchmark. We have the feeling we should the benchmark of our feeling tone should be up pleasant. You know, about seven pleasant. That should be the benchmark. All our life should be up there, number seven. If you go to ten, very happy. But if you go down, ooh, I don't show about that. And I think what the Buddha, and I'll talk more about this, said is that actually the benchmark is neutral. is neither pleasant nor unpleasant. And then you go up, or you go down. And then it's much easier. You don't have all these kind of going down from number seven. You kind of, you know, are at zero. And then you go up or you go down. And it's very interesting the, the way the Buddha looked at the neutral feeling tone. Because he, he, said, he said that, you know, it's kind of like it's peaceful. He equated it with equanimity. But it doesn't mean that it, it's not indifference. Is to see it's not pleasant, not terribly pleasant, not terribly unpleasant. And it's actually very peaceful. And very likely, most of the time during this retreat, I would say that's what you will happen. And that's why for me, it took me ages to understand this feeling tone meditation. Because I would try to notice, and there would be nothing. I thought, and I thought I, I needed to find something. Until I realized, no, that was it. <laughs> you know, it was just neutral feeling tone. And that generally, most of the time, that was what was happening. 
And it was very nice, actually, very restful. I didn't need to do anything else with it. So I think it's interesting. This meditation starts to make us look at the tonality of our experience in a different way. Then we have the question. So that will be a little different from what we've done before. And we will be sitting asking, what is this? What is this? And I'll explain it all, don't worry. And this is interesting because I think it cultivates the brightness within us. And it starts to help us a little to question the way we fix things, we identify. And we can start to ask, but is this true? For example, if you're saying, I am always stupid, is this true? I mean, you might make some mistake time to time, but not all the time, that's for sure. So it's kind of trying to question a little. And then the last one will be the loving kindness. And to me, the loving kindness is not to produce a certain feeling, but it's more to cultivate openness and an intention of being open to the humanity of the person. So to look beyond what we like or dislike about somebody and reach out to the human being who is alive, who is breathing. And recently somebody said something very interesting about this meditation, loving kindness. She was saying she does meditation for a little while and she really liked to do loving kindness meditation when you recite certain sentences. May I or you be happy, may I or you be well, may I or you be at peace. And she had to to go and see her boss. And generally she did not like her boss and she was really worried about her boss and da-da-da. And then she thought the meeting was going to be difficult. But instead of worrying about it, she decided to do loving kindness toward the boss for about 10 minutes. And by the time she got there, she saw him as a human being who was suffering just like herself, which helped her not to be tense around him, which made it much easier to communicate together and made the encounter much, much easier and much more creative for her. So in a way, again, we can cultivate the meditation, the different tools of awareness, and then they can, in a way, help us to develop a certain part of our being. So that's what I would like us to do this this week together. So that's what I wanted to say. Are there any uh, questions? Yes. Okay, okay, okay. In in term in term of the meditation that we are going to do here, it's really just listening to any sounds in the moment. That it be sound inside ourselves, gurgles or whatever, sound inside the room, sneezing, shuffling, sounds outside, cars, birds, wind, rain, whatever. And in terms of the meditation retreat, what is interesting is sometimes what we listen to is a silence, which as a hum, actually the silence is also as a hum. It's interesting to listen to the silence when everything is very silent here. So that's what the meditation is. And to me what is interesting in terms of that meditation is that you just listen to, you try to listen to the sound. Of course you will perceive it generally. 
or this is a bird, this is a car, this is somebody shuffling. But you're trying to stand the level of perception and not describe it. Oh, it's a rook, or it's a BMW, or it's whatever. But really try to stay as close to the sound as it is. And then to notice, if it stays a while, it's changing nature. And also notice that it goes. Oh, it's gone. So that's what the meditation will do. In terms of daily life, then, I mean, in terms of daily life, it's, you can listen, you know, generally we listen to ambient music, we listen to people, we listen to the traffic, we, listen, we can listen to music. And again, we can do this in different ways. But I'll talk more about it at the end of the week. Because some people like to listen to music. But again, there is a different way to listen to music. I think you can listen to music and just, in a way, let the music come to you. And not try to kind of, again, uh, analyze it or do anything to it. Just be open to it. And at the same time, you can listen to something very loud in the same way. I remember once I was teaching a retreat... And the center was right next to an airbase. So we would sit in meditation, then you would have these bombers kind of going over us. It was amazing sound. And I would just go inside the sound. It was an amazing experience. It was kind of just uh, sort of through the meditation. And so now with uh, loud sound, I often do that. And I can see when I move from I am listening to this sound, I like it, I don't like it. And when I go into more the meditation mode of listening, and then I am in the sound in a different way, I'm just with the sound as it arises. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.